Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am your Dark Travels hostess, Vina. Tonight, we're launching our February slash Valentine special. All month long, every Tuesday night, we will be discussing killer couples. You know, couples who are good at killing together, because you know what they say, a couple that kills together stays together. I don't know if that's what they say, but I like it anyways. Okay. So, like I said, we're going to kick off our Tuesday night uh, February Slasher Valentines. And we're going to start with the killing couple, the Lonely Heart Killers. The first half of our Lonely Heart Killers is Raymond Martinez Fernandez. Raymond was born on December 17, 1914, in Hawaii to Spanish parents. After he was born, they moved to Bridgeport, Connecticut, Then, as a teenager, Raymond would be sent to Spain, again, remember he's Spanish, to work on his uncle's farm. There, he remained for a couple of years, and at the age of 20, he met and married a local Spanish woman named Incarnation Robles. As a couple, they would have about four children, and by all counts, at this point in his life, he is leading a moral and upstanding life. So right now, he's just like a normal, regular, everyday dude. Correct. He's not some crazy psycho killer yet. No. Oh, all right. But we're getting there. So life goes on, and at about the age of 20, things are starting to happen in Europe. World War II breaks out, and Raymond initially serves in the Spanish Merchant Marines. He then goes on to serve in the British Intelligence. But by late 1945, the war is officially over, and Fernandez decides he's going to return to America looking for work. Now, his initial plan was to find work and then send for the wifey and the fam. So he gets a passage on a freighter that's headed for the island of Curacao in the Dutch West Indies. Just after the ship sets sail, a steel hatchet falls on him, fracturing his skull and injuring his frontal lobe. When the ship docks in December 1945, he's placed into the hospital where he remains until March 1946. Now, if you don't know anything about frontal lobe injuries, people who have these types of injuries can have serious personality, social, and sexual behavior changes. And in addition to Raymond's personality and behavioral changes. He's also bald. He's got a dent in his skull, and he now suffers from headaches. That sounds like it sucks. Yes. Also, kind of sounds like you know marriage, but whatever. Uh, maybe I guess you know. You are a headache. <laughs> 
Likewise, I know. Anywho, Raymond, still determined to get to America, he buys a passage on another ship headed for Alabama. Now, when the boat docks at the port of Mobile, Fernandez decides to steal a large quantity of clothing and items from the ship's storeroom, and as he tries to get through customs, he gets immediately arrested. So, for his thievery, which is probably something he never even thought to do prior, so for this thievery, he actually gets sentenced for one year in in a federal penitentiary in Tallahassee, Florida. Now, in addition to the frontal lobe injury, while he's in prison, Fernandez ends up having a Haitian man as his cellmate. This Haitian man teaches Raymond all the ways of black magic and how to conduct voodoo rituals. So, meanwhile, though, his wife is back in Spain. Right. I wonder if he was, like, in communications there. Hey, babe, I'm in jail for a year. That would be my assumption because... Or if she's just in the dark. Well, letters and mail were truly... They couldn't send text messages or emails. I mean, (laughs) the computer (laughs) is not even... Text messages in 1946? Yeah, no, no, I don't think that happened. Okay. So, his Haitian celly even gives him a book called Haitian or the Black Republic, which was written in 1884, and it contains lure descriptions of human sacrifices and tortures. And Raymond is just like, he's like eating this up. He's absorbing it. He's thinking that this is his ticket to what he is starting to hatch as a as a scheming scam, okay? So, so at this point, his, his wife... Because I know we're talking about couples that kill together. So at this point, his wife is not involved. Correct. Okay, because she's still in Spain. Correct, with children. So he's he's learned the, the ways of the black magic, the voodoo, and he's hatching a plan. So when he gets released, he, remember he's bald. He, the first thing he does is he buys a cheap black toupee to cover his baldness. He moves to Brooklyn to stay with his sister, and there he continues to practice these voodoo rituals because he, at this point in time, truly, truly believes in the black magic. He believes that it gives him irresistible power and charm over women and that this power will eventually turn all of these women that he's imagining and anticipating uh, into his sex slaves. So, in addition to turning these women into his sex slaves, he also has the goal to attract wealthy women so that he can rob them. So, he's got a, he's got a twofer going on. So, he still hasn't involved his wife. I wonder if this, at this point his wife has come to America. She doesn't know. No, she never comes to America. Oh, she doesn't? No. Oh, All right. okay. So... <laughs> Uh, obviously, he's got a plan, and it's his plan to connect with these future sex slaves, future rich women, by placing a series of ads, like a like like a, a personal ad, like a personal ad, in romance magazines, and he joins the Lonely Hearts Club. The club, the Lonely Hearts Club, was actually designed for single people throughout the United States. To kind of meet via male contact, you know, postal contact, and hopefully fall in love. So at this point, he's basically cheating on his wife. Well. Almost. Almost. Kind of. 
Well, his plan is to cheat on his wife. Yeah. To have these sexual slaves. What a jerk. Well, men do it all the time. Anyway. Not me. And he believes in this so much that he even tells his friends that he can make all of these women fall in love with him from great distances by placing voodoo powders inside the envelopes that he's, you know, sending and exchanging with the women. In fact, in the letters, he even asks his victims to send them a lock of their hair or an earring or some type of personal item that he could utilize in his voodoo ritual to strengthen his supernatural control. So he's like the original Unabomber, but he's sending, he's sending like, I, not I bombs, say he's Unab- sending, he's sending, uh, voodoo love, voodoo love, okay. not like bombs. What's the other guy that did that? Um, sending like the anthrax powder and stuff, but instead of that, he's sending voodoo powder, voodoo love. So he's, he's like the original. Right. I wonder if they all got their ideas from him. <laughs> I don't think so. So then he starts writing letter after letter, swiping right after right, so to speak. And once he gains their trust, he he moves in. He he you know, works his magic, his charming magic. He would steal money, jewelry, checks, whatever he could embezzle, and then he would disappear forever. So he has these women hook, line, and sinker. Correct. I mean, there's a lot of lonely women out there, and even now. He steals their shit. Right. And then disappears. Correct. And the thing is, is that the victims are too embarrassed to file a complaint, to complain, go to the police. They're just... Well, yeah, because time was different then. They didn't have... I mean, women were like... Weren't supposed to do that kind of thing. It's not like today where they do... Right. You, you do a woman wrong, she's going to do something about it. Right. I mean, she, she'll have a, some type of access to you. Right. Yeah. Right. But back then, there was nothing. Correct. So they got on that train and you were gone. Those guys could get away with stuff like that. So it's basically meet, greet, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and rob them. Steal your shit and leave. Correct. Okay. And all goes well. And at this point in time, he's just robbing them until he meets Jane Lucille Thompson. In 1947, he begins a correspondence with Jane, Jane Thompson, who was recently separated from her husband. She was obviously lonely, susceptible to any type of kindness or attention. She's on the rebound. Well, and basically she's right for the picking. Yeah, the rebound. So after writing a few letters back and forth, Thompson agrees to meet Ferdinand or Fernandez. Fernandez. <laughs> <laughs> Ferdinand's the king of Spain. Correct. Okay. Fernandez. And things are going so well for them. He feels confident enough to convince her to buy cruise tickets to Spain. So in October 1947, they take a cruise, a, a cruise trip to Spain for several weeks. They actually travel together. They book hotels, uh, hotel rooms as man and wife. They dine. They take in sightseeing. And they're just going all across Spain. And at this point, Raymond is so incredibly bold with belief, probably because he believes that he has this power over Jane, that he finally comes clean about his wife, and he takes Jane to La Nina, where Incarnation has been waiting. And that's his wife. Correct. For his return, 
and because you know she's been taking care of the kids. Yeah. So for like a couple of years now. Correct. Right? Correct. Well, he's out there whining and dining all these women. Correct. Okay. I mean, this guy is got like a real piece of work. Yes. He's got balls. Is I mean, and I don't even know why the wife doesn't cut him off, but still. Well, she he, doesn't know this is going on, right? Well, she, does she know I promise you, Jeff, it? if you show up with some chicka chicka boom boom, some foreign chicka chicka boom boom, because she's Spanish. Right. And you guys seem to be a little too, you know. Well, no, I mean, like before he before he shows up at the house with the fucking American chick, the wife doesn't know he's doing this. We don't know. Oh, okay. So we don't. But he's a guess. I mean, that that would be the assumption. But again, I promise you, you show up with some foreign chick at my house, we're gonna have a very different relationship and conversation at that point in time. Well, yeah. I mean. Okay. Yeah. So. He introduces his wife to Jane, and for the first time, this unlikely trio, they actually start going out on the town, and things are going really well. They're hanging out. But something happens on November 7th, 1947, and it's something that happens, probably initiates between the two women. And in hindsight, it's believed that perhaps some type of disagreement erupted between... Uh, them because later at night he's actually seen running out of the room in this panic and again the thing is is that the very next morning jane is found dead in her hotel room for reasons of uh, for unknown causes her body gets removed they do not conduct an autopsy and later, when suspicions of murder by poison becomes a concern, they do actually exhume her body. But by then, uh, Fernandez has skipped town. He's left his wife again. And he's on the next boat to America, where this guy just shows up at Jane's old apartment in New York City. And with forged last will and testament of Jane... In his hand, he takes complete possession of her apartment and all of her furnishings, despite the fact that Jane's elderly mother is still living there. And what he tells Jane's mother is that, you know, I'm sorry, but Jane died of a heart attack. So she dies. At this point, Jane's mom can't get on the Internet and say, hey, where's my daughter? Correct. Right. He just. She has no recourse. She, I mean, he. Who knows what he, he told her or where they were. She just has to believe him. Correct. Okay. But she probably doesn't if she has any capacity. He takes over everything Jane owned in her life, and it, this guy. The the thing that just blows my mind away is that while he's on this cruise with Jane, while he's you know trioing it up with the wife and the side chick, he is still writing these letters. He's still sending out these voodoo love potion to all the ladies packets. in the in the personal ads. He just has balls. I mean, there's there's no other clearer term than this. And I or he's just a scammer. I know, but I mean, the the boldness that this guy and it has to be related to the entry because why? Well, you he, said he wasn't like that in the beginning, anyways. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, obviously, it had something to do with it. I mean, he doesn't even stop when he goes back to New York and is like, goodbye, 
Jane's mother, you're out the door. I got, he kicked I, her out. He kicked her out. Well, well, what else is he going to do with her? He's not going to let her stay. I don't know. So, through all of this, basically fine tunes his his routine. Okay, he through trial and error, he develops a standard routine, and he follows basically what is his standard script. Almost in every letter writing courtship. So, you know, Samantha over here gets I love you, I love you, I love you. Jane. They all get the same thing. Correct. It's so he's and so then he's scamming lots of women. Correct. Okay. Correct. So he has perfected this method. And one of the people that he has perfected this method with and, you know, sent the voodoo powder magic on to is a woman by the name of Martha Seabrook Beck. Now, Martha is actually the second half of the Lonely Hearts Killer. Okay? So Martha Seabrook Beck was born Martha Julie Seabrook. As a child, she was rather portly. And thanks to a glandular problem, she actually goes through puberty pretty early. And she would later tell people uh, that her brother had raped her and that when she told her mother about the assault, her mother turned on her and beat her and blamed Martha for being raped. Apparently, Martha's mother, Julia, was a dominating woman and who would ridicule Martha for her weight and being, you know, frumpy and obese and just she was not a very supportive mother by any accounts. So between her abusive mother and her raping brother, Martha actually runs away from home as a teen. But she actually manages to graduate from high school and she goes on to study nursing. Now, eventually she lands a job as a mortician's assistant. There she prepares the female bodies for burial and she's actually pretty good at it. Now, over time, she applies and, and gets hired as a nurse for the Army Hospital in California. So she comes out to California. And so by day, she's at the hospital. But at night, you know, Martha's feeling lonely, like a lot of women probably would have. So Martha starts hitting the bars. She's looking for, you know, the, the soldiers, the World War II soldiers coming home. She'll pick them up, take them home. And after one particular encounter, she actually gets pregnant. And unfortunately for Martha, Daddy is not too interested in her in any regards other than sex. And when Martha's like, hey, I'm prego, the man is so disheartened, he actually attempts to kill himself by throwing himself in the bay. Now, obviously, this is a bit upsetting, I mean, this man would rather die than be with her. That's That's got to be detrimental. To her. To her. Yes. So she returns to Florida, very upset, and now feeling extremely alone. And pregnant at this time. Right. And so with that, with that, with that uh, scenario in mind, she returns to Milton, Florida. She buys herself a ring. She tells everyone that she's married to a Navy man who is currently deployed overseas. And then, before people could catch on to her lie, she actually sends herself a telegraph saying, 
We're sorry to inform you, but your imaginary Navy husband is dead. Okay, so that's kind of, she's a scammer too. (laughs) Correct. And in fact, the entire town is just so heartbroken for the pregnant Martha. I mean, her story even appears in the local newspaper. I mean, the woman just... She just scammed the whole town. Correct. (laughs) She's like, I was married and he's dead and I'm, uh, you know. Oh, that's great. So after the birth of her daughter, Martha meets a man by the name of Alfred Beck and they get married. She gets pregnant. Uh, Alfred is a Pensacola bus driver. And like I said, they get married, but the marriage is short lived just six months after they wed. And... After they get a divorce, Martha gives birth to her son. So she has two kids basically out of wedlock. Well, in in her world, in her imaginary world, she's been widowed. Widowed. Divorced. Divorced. It's a rough life for Martha. Yes, Martha is on a rough one. So in 1946, she actually gets a job at the Pensacola Children's Hospital. So she, this is actually a really good... um, Transition for her. She's a nurse, right? Right. Okay. In fact, she's so good at her job that she makes supervisor of all the nurses within six months. So, I mean, she's got her professional career on track. She's, you know. So her career sounds like the only thing that's going right in her life. Correct. She's still very depressed. She's still very lonely. And she immerses herself into this dream world of romance novels, romance movies, and she basically becomes completely obsessed with finding love. And in her desire to find love, she writes her first letter to Mother Denny's Club, where she waits nearly two weeks for a return letter. And every day, you know, she's disappointed. Every day she checks the, 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 the post box. There's not a letter. There's not a letter. And sometime before Christmas Day in 1947, she receives her first and only reply. Let me guess. Fernandez. Fernandez, yes. Nice. Raymond Fernandez. So he tells her, hey, I'm a successful and well-respected businessman who's made a fortune in the import and export trade. And and he's just selling himself. Meanwhile, he made his fortune from... Killing Jane. Killing Jane and taking all her stuff. Right. And scamming all the other women he's right. scamming. But again, you know, Martha doesn't know any of this. In fact, because he's perfected his writing skills, his love letters, uh, you know, she's looking at it as, oh, my God, his words are written he's in this perfect. elaborate manner. He's extremely courteous, and he seems so sincere. And... On top of everything else, I mean, he tells her, hey, I'm a Spaniard who recently left his country to come to America for, you know, better business opportunities. And now he now lives, quote, alone in this apartment, much too large for a bachelor. And I hope someday to share it with a wife. So she got it hook, line and sinker. Correct. Correct. All right. And because he's good at incorporating what they are or what's important in their lives or what they're doing in their lives and his return letters to them, he even goes so far to tell her, because he, he knows that Martha's a nurse, that I know you have a heart full of great capacity for love and comfort. So, I mean, he is... He is just rolling it on. Correct. 
Correct. Yeah. And she's just eating his crock of crock, basically. At this point, she's probably ready to move to New York right now. Correct. So, and, and the thing of it is, is that she's just so obsessed and just immediately hooked. She literally carries this one letter, okay, with her everywhere she went and read it at every opportunity. She just couldn't believe how she's well he wrote. completely obsessed. Expre- expressed himself. And... So she even jumps up, runs to the the local, you know, mercantile general store, yeah, and buys expensive stationery to and starts a two week correspondence that includes a dozen letters, an exchange of photographs, which of course for her the photographs were a little bit of a problem because Martha didn't want to scare him off because she's not the most. Prettiest. She's not skinny and correct. All this other, she's not so, a model. Right, basically. right. So what she decides, kind of her, you know, she can't catfish him. Or catfishing wasn't a thing then. It wasn't a thing then, but it sounds like it's gonna be right. So what she does is she does actually send Raymond a group photo of all the nurses at the hospital, but she's like in the back. She's like I'm in the back row, and then she tells him this picture does not do me justice, and and. On the other end, uh, up north, Raymond is like Martha is the perfect next target. In his mind, you know she, she's she's the perfect victim. But and is she is she rich? Is she loaded? Well, he thinks she is. Oh, remember, okay. she's not necess- She's not honest. She's, she's not, not honest. an honest person. So she's not telling him. Right. Okay. In fact, even when Raymond asks for just a simple lock of Martha's hair, Martha, who's just like totally hooked. She actually sends him this huge glom of her hair. Like, she's like, cut it all off. Give it to send it, you know. But <laughs> he for love. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Sends him the whole shebang bang. Right, that's a whole new version of that, but that's exactly what it is. So she thinks this is totally romantic, but Raymond, he's asking her for this because he needs to conduct his voodoo ritual. He knows he's going to scam her. Right, but he needs to hook her in with his voodoo ritual, so he needs her hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go back and forth. She sends the hair. In December of 1947, the two finally meet when Raymond decides to pay Martha a visit. Now, again, Martha is a bit of a liar. She's a bit of a manipulator because she never tells Raymond about the children. So when he arrives in Pensacola, he's actually a little taken aback by the presence of her children. So it sounds per- they sound perfect to each other, both liars and manipulators. Correct. Okay. All right. But it does. he tells her it doesn't matter. Okay. And from the start, they're basically all over each other. They get immediately handsy. They start having sex every chance they get. In fact, later, when all this goes down, Martha would later share that she finally reaches sexual fulfillment for the first time in her life with good old Raymond. So she is hooked. So she tells Raymond he's the first one to give her the O face? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know if she told Raymond that, but she certainly shares that with like reporters and investigators. It's, oh, okay. Yeah. So she's so this is just from history that it, the history we know is that she says that to him at some or not to him, but she said that to the reporters about least. him. About him. Yeah. But we don't know if she ever told him that. She probably did. Okay. All right. This okay, is, you're my old man. This is great. There you go. This is great. <laughs> All right. So 
Martha is just, this is heaven for her, okay? She swears her undying love, and she she begs him to stay in Florida and marry her. But, you know, Ferdinand, Ferdinand, Fernandez, Fernandez. <laughs> Hernandez, you know, she's a mom. And she doesn't really have anything to offer him financially. And she was just supposed to be a scam. And it, it's a scam that doesn't pan out. And he's got other scams in the fire. So he certainly doesn't want marriage. He certainly doesn't want someone hanging on her and holding him back. So he decides, hey, I got to go home kind of early and kind of sudden. And he tells her that he has business affairs in New York and he has to get back. So Martha's like, no, 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 please don't go. But Fernandez calms her and says, look, babe, uh, I'll be back. Or you know what? Maybe I'll even send you some money so you can come join me in New York. And Martha just is like, oh, he proposed to me. <laughs> he, he's proposed to me. Oh, so, so she thinks she's going to get married to him. Right. So he hits the, the train rails in Jacksonville. She goes back to Milton and she literally tells everybody, he's proposed. I'm getting married again, y'all. Again to this rich guy in New York. Correct. Oh, Correct. my goodness. This is hilarious. So, she even goes, she believes, th- she's just so out of her mind with this belief that she throws a shower. There's a, sh- a bridal shower. And the day of the bridal shower, she actually gets a letter from Raymond that basically says, hey, look, You've misunderstood my feelings for you, and I'm not coming back to Florida. And Martha is just absolutely, absolutely devastated. In fact, she's so devastated that she decides to attempt suicide. And, you know, she goes all out. She tells, she's like, I tried to kill myself over you. And Fernandez is like, oh, my God. He does have a heart. He feels a little bad. Well, he might actually have real feelings for her because he doesn't do anything to her. Yeah. You know, he's scammed everybody else. He's worked everybody else, but he does not for her. Okay. Well, but, but, but we also know that most of his victims, right, were rich or had something to offer. Correct. Financially. But we already established the fact, or we talked about the fact that she didn't have anything to offer. Correct. Or does she? Okay. Okay. So, Fernandez is like, holy shit, she tried to kill herself for me? Oh, my God. Okay, all right. So, he decides, you know what, babe? Why don't you just come up? We'll, we'll, We'll do New York together for two whole weeks. So, she drops everything. She goes to New York. And it's she's just having the best two weeks. She's um, in heaven. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Did and she then, take the kids with her to New York? I, I don't think so. Okay. But when she gets back to Florida after her, you know, two-week, you know. Hiatus. Vacation. <laughs> mancation. Man, mancation. I like that. That's a good one. Mancation. 
When she gets back to Florida, she actually gets fired without any explanation. And when she tries to find out why her employer fired her, he not only refused to elaborate, but Martha kind of formulates this idea that it's because the town learned of her scandalous affair with a Latin lover from New York. She's so obsessed, in fact, that she goes to pick up her last paycheck she had told them by then that her name would her new name would be martha fernandez and so on her last paycheck it's written out to martha fernandez so at this point in time she kind of looks around and she's like there is literally no reason for me to be here so she packs up her house she gets her two kids dressed says goodbye to her few friends and then she humps a bus to New York City. With her kids and all of her belongings. Correct. Okay. So, on January 18th, 1948, there's a knock at Fernandez's door. He opens it up to his dismay. (laughs) There's Martha and her her two two children (laughs) standing right there. And she's like, babe, it's happening. I'm here. Correct. (laughs) But here's the deal. He actually kind of really liked having Martha around. He liked the way she catered to him. He liked the way she took care of him. She cooked for him. She cleaned for him. She was very submissive to everything he wanted. And Fernandez really, really liked this about Martha. A couple of scammers. They're perfect for each well, other. They don't, I don't think he realized what kind of scammer she was. Right, okay? right, right. And more importantly what kind of scammer she is willing to be. I think it's real on her part, and I think on some part it's real for him. Okay. So he's like, look, babe, here's the deal. I'm okay with us. I'm not okay with your kids. So he says, you got to make a choice. (laughs) They got to go or I got to go. Correct. It's either me or them. So on January 25th, 1948, she packs up her kids And she drops them off at the Salvation Army and abandons them. And for the next three years, she has absolutely no contact with them whatsoever. So once she drops off the kids, Raymond now knows three things. She's hooked. She's going to be super loyal. Yep. And it's now time to come clean about who and what he's been doing. Who he really is and what he's been doing. So he's... Going, I, I, I'm assuming what you're saying is he's going to tell her he's a scammer and been scamming all these people and that he's actually married. Not only is he going to tell her, he actually brings out all the letters, all the pictures, all the hair, locks of love. He brings it all out, and this is it. So he comes clean to her. He comes clean to her, and he's like, well, babe, what do you think? Let's do this together? Cor- no. <laughs> no, he does not say that to no. her. She says... You know what? Let's do this together. Oh, she brings it up. Correct. She oh, not only nice. stays, but she offers to help him in any way she could. And they work up a story that, and it depends on who you, who, which article you read, but they work up the story that she is either his sister or his sister-in-law. And they decide that to they're going to keep women. going. With the Lonely Heart scams at this point in time. 
Nice. So, okay, so we, we're gonna we're gonna end the first episode here because we have so much. I mean, we haven't even gotten. This is just the beginning. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna end episode one here. Some quick business for the broadcast or the podcast. I'm actually gonna do. Speaking of, you know, killing couples and true crime, I'm gonna do a a cute little true crime giveaway. And basically, all you need to do, my listeners, all you need to do is send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com of your favorite episode. And it doesn't have to be a true crime one, it could be any episode of, of your show. Correct. Oh, okay. Correct. Any episode of my show, obviously, my podcast. Right. I just want to make that clear. Thank you. So, shoot me an email. Say, hey, this was my favorite episode. Obviously, send your name and address. So I'll put all the entries, like I did with the previous contest, all entries in a bucket. This is all for the month of February, okay? So all entries have to be in by February or March 1st. Let's say March 1st. And I will pull and announce the winner on the first March episode, um, March 4th, which will be the first Thursday of March. So, just to quickly recap, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com of your favorite episode, regardless of whichever topic it is. And please include your name, address, and please have it in before March 1st for the pooling for the episode of March 4th, Thursday, March 4th. And what's the prize? It's a secret. Oh, it's a secret prize. Right. Oh. But it has something to do with true crime. Okay. More or less. Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Poke around. Want to join? Send me a request. And I'm uh, still <laughs> collecting listener tales. I feel like I've been advertising this for a little bit. Uh, any type of paranormal experience, if you've been to any of the places that we've discussed and had an experience, you know, send me an email. I'd love to love to hear about it. However, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are or have a specific tourist attraction in mind, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. <laughs> <laughs>